This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. This is the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about leadership and management with government executives and thought leaders who are truly changing the way government does business. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and leadership fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. What does a chief experience officer do? What is the U.S. Department of the Air Force's user experience strategy? And how does it measure and manage it? And what are some of the most significant challenges facing improving customer experience within the U.S. Department of the Air Force? I'll explore these questions and so much more with my very special guest, Colt Whittall, Chief Experience Officer within the U.S. Department of the Air Force. Colt, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thank you very much. Really appreciate the invitation. Colt, before we get into our conversation, I'd like to define some terms and the interaction of these terms. And they are user experience UX, user interface design UI, and customer experience CX. What are these efforts and how do they interplay within the enterprise IT world at the U.S. Department of the Air Force? Sure. Um, So these are all related terms. User experience typically refers to um, what a user, in our case, an airman, uh, which is, you know, both active duty, civilian, guard, reserve. So what, what, in our case, an airman would experience or as they're interacting with the technology. And that would typically include the, the computer itself and all the aspects of performance and then all of the aspects of the interaction with the software and the support of all of the above. So if you you can take a narrow definition or a broad definition, but Broadly speaking, most people would include all of those things in with user experience. You know, it you can take a narrower definition and say it focuses pretty much on the digital interaction component. Um, and I think that's also a fair definition. And that's how probably it's most commonly used. User interface design is, again, people define it a little differently, but I think of it as strictly speaking, the digital user interface. So taking out the hardware and the network and the performance is more what you would think of as um, the layout of the page. Some people might say the look and feel, although that's just one dimension of it. Um, And then you also mentioned in there the term CX, which is typically customer experience. Customer experience is a broader concept that can include um, the whole kind of consumer experience or in the case of the government, citizen experience. Um, Citizen experience and customer experience are kind of a big movement within the government right now. And and that's the whole broader experience. So it's the outbound strategic communications. It's sort of the branding of the agency. It's the experience that you have if you walk into say a VA hospital or a post office or wherever. It's the experience you have when you're online. And then, you know, if you talk about the experience you have interacting with a mobile app, well, now that's the user experience of the mobile app um, and the user interface of the mobile app. So these things are all interrelated. And, and sometimes I realize it gets a little confusing. Well, that was that was very helpful. And, you know, it's a nice segue into the next question. And that is, I'd love to understand your role within the U.S. Department of the Air Force. And that is, uh, what are the responsibilities and duties for the chief experience officer? And can you highlight some of the some of the things that are under your portfolio? Sure. 
So when we created the role and I was involved um, in drafting the position description originally, um, we, we focused on a few main things. Um, first was just being a strategic advisor and communicator regarding you know, matters related to user experience because we didn't have that. Second was to work with the CIO organization and the whole communications, you know, comms ecosystem to improve user experience of enterprise IT, which when you talk about enterprise IT, it's mainly about three things, performance, reliability and resilience, and uh, kind of the support that goes along with that. And I would probably even add a fourth thing which is uh, just the general interaction of it because it can get clunky sometimes, particularly due to security things. So there's that, that's kind of the second aspect. Another aspect is to work with the application, you know, the software community. So one thing I haven't talked about yet is, you know, my job as I'm working for the CIO, I probably spend two thirds, maybe three quarters of my time focused on enterprise IT. Most people would think of UX more as software and applications, but that is part of my job too. And so um, since we have literally thousands of applications in the Air Force, certainly well over a thousand, thousands maybe an overstatement, but well over a thousand, we got a lot of them. So I can't go out and individually work with each one. That would be impossible. But part of my job is to help put things in place that try to raise the bar of user experience across that entire massive portfolio. And it's really, to be honest, it's multiple portfolios. There's, you know, the personnel portfolio or A1. There's the FM portfolio or financial management. There's the logistics portfolio, A4. We really have multiple portfolios. The idea is to help raise the bar across all of that. Um, and then the last thing that we put in the position description that is is broad there are certain why well, call them the mega user journeys and and what that is those, the, those are these kind of user journeys that just cross the entire air force practically or at least a huge swath of it and so one of the ones that i focused on um and really the major the two big ones that i focused on really are PCSing or permanent change of station, which is an aggravation for pretty much anyone who ever served in uniform and civilians too can PCS. And the uh, the second one is readiness. I regret to say we haven't yet made tons of progress in either one of those, but we've given it a solid shot um, and continue to do so. That's the role. That's great. And, you know, I was wondering, uh, Colt, uh, as a follow-up to uh, sort of describing the role how does your work and the focus on user experience and user interface support the overall mission of the U.S. Department of the Air Force's CIO shop and the department in general? Well, there are several ways. I'll start first with one way that it doesn't. You know, I occasionally get people, you know, say things like, well, wait a minute, why do we need a chief experience officer, right? We're not, you know, this is the, this is the Air Force for crying out loud. And I couldn't agree more. Actually, it sounds a little strange, but um, what I have to remind people, and this is part of my strategic communications, part of the role, is this is not about, you know, we're not selling, you know, airline tickets and vacations and cruises and movies and video games. You know, this is not that stuff. I am not here. I gave an interview one time. You can still find if you go look for it where I said, you know, my objective is not to delight my users. And it's not, but I would back that up and say, wait a minute, if all of this technology performs and helps people do their mission better, 
you know, up to their level of expectations, you know, and be their best selves in their role in the mission, they will not be delighted. They will be absolutely ecstatic. And then for about a week, they'll be that. And then they'll, it'll become the expectation. And, you know, we'll, you know, that'll be the new norm and we'll move on and they'll keep doing it and we'll get benefits. So what are we really trying to do for the mission? Practically every job in the Department of the Air Force is enabled by technology in some way. The business side of it certainly is. The mission side of it certainly is. Almost every job is enabled. Even if even if you don't interact with a computer all the time, it's still computing processes that support a big chunk of what you do. So somebody else is probably doing something with it related to, you know, on your behalf. So if that technology is, you know, it takes 20, 30 minutes to boot up in the morning. If it's unreliable, if it causes people to lose a day's work or a half a day's work, um, if you have to wait for two, three, four weeks to get it provisioned, and in the course of that, you have to go borrow somebody else's machine, and it that doesn't enable you to get organized in your new job. You know, if if you can't, you know, if systems are just slow and buggy and take a long time to get something done, most young airmen today come in they're already experts in technology, right? IT is like the air they breathe, right? And so, you know, they, I think, rightfully get a certain amount of frustration if they can't fairly quickly figure something out. I think they expect they need to learn their job. They need to learn, you know, how to maintain an airplane or do whatever their job is. Um, but I generally don't think they expect to have to come in and you know, fight through really weird stuff in a fairly basic application to like get somebody decorations or awards or something like that. So all of these things are, you know, on the one hand, um, they amount to aggravations, but they do cause loss of productivity. And that's actually lost productivity due to IT is something we actually now track. And we can talk more about it later. So it's it's about productivity. It's about meeting expectations. So, you know, we had the Fix My Computer memo from Michael Kanan came out about 18 months or so. And it pointed out something I think that's very important. It pointed out that, wait a minute, you know, we go out and we recruit young airmen. You know, we are the, you know, the biggest, most lethal, most sophisticated Air Force and Space Force on the planet. And then there's this giant disconnect between some of the technology that they use every day to accomplish seemingly fairly simple things, sometimes very sophisticated things, but often very simple things. They see that disconnect and it doesn't really make one feel good about our ability to do the big things, right? So we need to close that disconnect. We, you know, when you can't deliver on some of these small things, it doesn't make you feel real good about the big things. So there's there's productivity there's actual mission effects and then i think there's this general kind of call it you know brand disconnect that i think um is very negative in a number of ways right and it potentially could turn out and be negative for you know recruiting or retention um i don't have any data to suggest that it is but it is possible yeah it's an interesting uh, way to leave off because it, it it really tracks with my next question and that's around you know what are some of the key operational or management challenges you face in your unique role within the Air Force? And how have you sought to address some of those challenges? Yeah, great question. So one of the biggest is just the decentralized nature of the way the Air Force works. And it's not just the Air Force. I think all of DOD is this way. Maybe all of the federal government, I don't know. But um, a tremendous amount 
uh, the vast majority really of IT spend is decentralized, whether you're talking about applications or whether you're talking about enterprise IT. Um, and so because of that, it's not like we can wave, wave, you know, wave a magic wand from the CIO's office at the Pentagon and all of a sudden everybody you know, gets an up-to-date computer. Unfortunately, it just doesn't work that way. We have eight organizations. It is, a, it is very much an ecosystem of organizations that operate IT and then a tremendous amount of it, like I said, and the spend and everything else is pushed out in a very decentralized way for both enterprise IT and applications. So that's, I would say that is the biggest challenge. What has surprised you, Colt, since taking on this role? Um, surprised me. So I was pretty sure I was going to do the job for several months before I took it. So I was, I went in fairly prepared, surprised me. Senior leaders, uh, in the department of the air force actually really get this stuff. I thought I was going to spend a lot more time selling at senior levels, you know, what, you know, the necessity of taking action. That wasn't really a problem. I mean, I, I do need to do that sometimes, you know, in more kind of the mid levels and, you know, some of the aspects of how, you know, we're approaching things, you know, sometimes requires, you know, a fair amount of uh, persuasion. But at senior levels of the department, they interact with IT all the time, too. And you know, ironically, they get probably the best IT service that we get. But they also hear from, you know, young airmen, frankly, around the world, and they hear the issues. And so they want to respond. So they required very little persuasion at all. Um, and I think really appreciate it when you come in and are blunt and can lay out data on the table that describes, you know, gives them better situational awareness of what's going on. And they can see that the data we're seeing, you know, actually reflects what airmen are telling them and it lines up. So I'd say that was the biggest, biggest surprise is, um, yeah, I didn't have to do a big sell job with senior leaders. I know you were involved in the crafting of the job of chief experience officer, but I was wondering, could you tell us more about yourself and your career path and, and what brought you to wanting to be involved in this area? Sure. Um, I've had kind of a military interest probably my entire life. My dad was a uh, officer in the Navy, USS Simon Bolivar Supply Corps, you know, was out in submarines, literally got the message I was born while he was on a submarine. And then when I was in graduate school, I had an opportunity to go intern for three summers when undergrad and graduate school at AT&T's government affairs organization and did a project where I worked um, with Bell Labs up at uh, uh, Murray Hill in New Jersey. I was working in Washington, but I, my team was in Murray Hill and got to see, you know, it was part of their attempt to get the high definition television standard or to win, you know, the award of that standard by the FCC and got to see kind of how, you know, government and industry interact to do big, giant industry moving things. And, uh, you know, proud to say I was probably among the first fewer than a thousand people who ever saw a high definition television picture. I don't know what the number is, but I, that's almost certainly true. And uh, so that was that was fun. And then my thesis advisor, who I owe a great deal of debt to, is a man named um, Dale Hatfield, Dr. Hatfield. He uh, helped me get an internship at the FCC. I got to work on the first ever PCS auction or personal communication system that first that was the narrowband PCS auction. Let's say it was the summer of '94, and we auctioned off seven or eight hundred million dollars of spectrum that ended up becoming, you know, basically the 
the digital two-way paging services that uh, you know became eventually the BlackBerry service and stuff that sort of took over the world. The most amazing thing about it, frankly, is that it only went for that amount of money. Um, I think today it'd be a lot more. So I kind of got this interaction of government and industry in my under my skin. And then after graduate school, I went to work for Deloitte Consulting and was part of their customer relationship management practice. And then a group that spun out to go uh, be a really a digital consultancy uh, that designed web and mobile as when you know when mobile became a thing for big brands. And we also did some work in the federal government. And so I was, you know, at various points responsible for either all or part of our practices in, you know, government and healthcare and had a lot of clients in that area, plus a number of, you know, commercial clients and things like banking. So essentially learned the, you know, learned UX and customer relationship management and CX, kind of all of those things revolving over the last 25 years. And um, we sold the company uh, to what today is called Dentsu out of Tokyo. Uh, we sold it to Aegis Media out of London, and then they were almost immediately acquired by Dentsu. And I took a little time off and was thinking, you know, it would be a lot of fun uh, to go do something directly with the government again. So I was looking for some advice on how to do that. And I, I went and kind of did, I think you call it an informational interview, um, where basically you're you're kind of interviewing somebody, you know, that you might want to maybe work with. But I, I talked to probably 10 different people, you know, bought some plane tickets, flew out to a few conferences. And, and um, everybody kept saying, you know, Colt, you really ought to just go meet with uh, Bill Marion, who was the CIO of the Air Force at the time. And that's what I, I reached out to him on LinkedIn. He said, meet me at the Pentagon on Tuesday. And we started drafting the position description. So, Colt, what are the characteristics of an effective leader? And perhaps you could share with us some of the leadership principles that guide your efforts. For me, communications is huge. It's absolutely huge, right? You have to be able to communicate well, and you have to and, and by the way, there's a million different styles of effective communicators, right? I don't know that I have a great style, but I think I can generally be effective when I need to be. So that's that's the biggest. And you have to be probably an even better listener. Frankly, I don't know that it's possible to be a great communicator without being a good listener. Um, and listening is always something that I've had to work on. But uh, being a great listener, being a great communicator, probably listening about, you know, three, four, maybe 10 times more than you talk is probably good advice. Being someone who's willing, in my opinion, my style of leadership is I dive into details on certain things. Um, I completely delegate details on other things. And it just kind of depends. Um, I'm always looking for sort of the leverage point, um, if that makes any sense. Um, I'm always looking for that. And the way that we approach you know, user experience is really based on looking for a few key leverage points that we can really affect because we can't affect everything given some of the challenges I already talked about, the decentralized nature of how you know, the Air Force works. I think looking for the, the leverage points uh, to get the kind of effect you want is also critical. And uh, probably the last thing is um, consensus and compromise. You know, I'm not a uh, what you would call sort of a super hard ass kind of driver leader. I'm not. I am more of a all right. You know, we have a number of people here that we all kind of want to go to the same place, but for some reason there's conflict and we have different visions. 
generally by opening up lines of communication and just getting people talking, talking about where they want to go, and then you know, and then finding the relevant data and facts and, and working through that with people, you can generally get to, you know, a consensus and agreement on what the right thing to do is. So um, that's kind of my style. What is the U.S. Department of the Air Force's user experience strategy and how does it measure and manage it? I'll explore these questions and so much more when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. To support government financial performance and accountability, financial systems must meet certain standards, and relying on outdated financial systems inhibits progress. ERP vendors are encouraging clients to move to the cloud and consider new technologies such as robotic process automation, blockchain, and AI to enhance financial productivity. Download the IBM Center Report Financial Management for the Future at businessofgovernment.org to learn why and how government can evolve to meet the demands of a digital world. The Ebola crisis in West Africa from 2014 to 2016 was an epidemic that put emphasis on global capacity to respond to international disasters. How can government better assess the needs of those affected and help them? The IBM Center Report Responding to Global Health Crisis by Professor Jennifer Widner breaks down the U.S. response to the Ebola crisis and provides insights on lessons learned that may aid the government responses in the future. Download your free copy, Responding to Global Health Crisis, at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Colt Whittall, Chief Experience Officer within the U.S. Department of the Air Force. And so we go into transitioning, uh, Colt, into more of the strategy. And I'm, I'm wondering, within the context of the Air Force's IT strategy, can you elaborate on the department's user experience strategy and its outside-in approach? And what are some of your key priorities in this area? Sure. So here's the funny thing. You don't see user experience mentioned much in our IT strategy. Um, if you look at the SAFCN strategy, which is on our website, there's not a lot of mentions of it, but we do want results, right? The whole reason why we're doing this is results and outcomes. And so sometimes on slides, you'll see me where my title is. It says chief experience officer, and I cross out the experience and write in outcomes. So I think our CX, I, I do have a CX strategy. I didn't actually want to write one. But we kind of needed one to be able to communicate it. And you can actually go find it on Medium. It's a, about a page and a half white paper, maybe two pages. So it's a very simple thing. It's not a big strategy document. But really what it is, at the end of the day, it's focused on leverage points. But the uh, it fundamentally, the concept is every big area of our IT strategy, really at the end of the day, is looking for outcomes. And so the CX strategy or the user experience strategy is really focused on outcomes. And the idea is let's treat airmen as customers. Let's treat ourselves almost like we're a big IT services company that's serving consumers. Let's operate a little bit that way. Let's measure user experience from our customer perspective. So our airmen perspective, which is sometimes easy and sometimes hard to do, depending on what you're measuring. Then let's track that over time and manage the service levels. I mean, fundamentally, that's the strategy. And if you go do some research on, you know, the, in the analyst websites, the Gardner, Forrester, all that kind of stuff, they describe that as an outside-in approach. So in other words, IT, stop focusing so much. You know, it, you have to focus on the stuff, right? You got to focus on the network and uptime and links and all the stuff that we do. But the concept of an outside-in strategy is if 
the outcome I'm getting, like if the performance of all the key applications and the reliability of all the key applications at the edge, right? So right there at the glass when I'm using, if all of those, those metrics are good, then you're doing a pretty good job and you, you know, you're delivering, right? You're getting the outcome that you want. So that's the idea of an outcome, you know, an outside in approach. And it makes complete sense. Um, and it also applies when you th consider things like tech refresh. You know, sometimes I think when we talk about tech refresh, you know, we look at tech debt and we say, well, what's the old stuff, you know, in the network or the old stuff in the data center or whatever, right? And then we say, well, whatever's oldest, we must have to replace that, you know, go spend money there. And that may be right. All right. It could get to the right answer, but I would approach it a little differently. I would say, okay, well, from an outside in perspective, here are the specific bases or applications or computers or whatever that are getting bad outcomes that the performance data looks horrible. And let's go fix them and deal with that first. And sometimes that means you do something at the edge, like replace computers. Sometimes it means you might need to do something in the network or the base boundary or with the routers or with the data center. But it, you know, focus on the outcomes that you're measuring at the edge and try to drive those results. That's the outside end strategy. That's great. And, you know, you've mentioned a couple of times, Colt, the idea of measuring user experience. And I'm wondering if you can elaborate a little bit more. How do you exactly do the measurement and management of it? And what are some of the tools you use in, in, in achieving this? Um, sure. Yeah. So it's it's still early, I would say. Out of the three things I'm going to talk about, two are definitely still kind of you know, really sort of in pilot still. So the first is just ask Airman. Um, and so, you know, like I said, let's treat let's treat Airman as um, as customers. So let's put in place basically a voice of the customer strategy, which is a fairly common, you know, customer experience technique. So when I first took this job, I I had in mind I probably I wanted some kind of a voice of the customer program, but I wasn't sure how I was going to do it. You know, do I have to go out and buy a survey platform? You know, what do I have to do? And I found out within a few days that um, we have this organization called the Air Force Survey Office, and one, they already have a contract with one of the largest um, experience management platforms. Basically, it's a giant survey and research tool, and it's already under an authority to operate or ATO. Everything's already there. So I literally just approached them and said, hey, you know, what I would like to do is I would like to survey a small percentage of airmen it, originally it was every day then it was every week now we're doing it every month and we're asking them three main questions the first is where primarily do you work and it's everywhere from 100 telecommute to 100 on base and then the second question is overall what is your user set what is your satisfaction with air force or department of the air force it including computers networks you know devices and um, support the third question is what is the primary reason for your response and we get about a 6% plus or minus response rate, and which is good for something like this. It actually is like in the commercial world, you'd probably be happy to have 1%. So, you know, I'm, I'm quite happy with this. And it's actually been higher at various points, but we get a tremendous amount of data. And then we have other optional questions, which we can talk more about that address other things. So we did that. So thing one, the voice of the customer, and that's been tremendously helpful. Second thing is we we needed digital experience monitoring um, because we needed to know what kind of performance we were getting um, from the key client applications running on our computers. And so I knew kind of what we needed to do 
we had one of these tools in, I would say, very limited use. So we were able to use some COVID-19 supplemental funds to ramp that up and cover about 1% of our computers across, I think we started out with about, I want to say, 70 bases or so. And um, so that gave us some visibility. We started that a little over two years ago, and uh, that was very, very helpful. Now we can track for key applications, like let's take Microsoft Outlook. We can track average response time of Outlook over, say, a seven-day period and, you know, save that. And now we have a snapshot of how, you know, that was performing. And that's critical because then we can compare that across bases. We can compare it over time. You know, if you don't have something like that, how do you know if you're getting better or worse? You really don't. And so absolutely critical. So we've got, you know, charts out the wazoo of here's how we compare to where we were then. And we can drill down in on all of that. And it's, you know, so that we got that. By the way, this also tracks things like boot up time and all sorts of other metrics. And, and it associates it with the specs of the hardware. So we can correlate what kind of performance we're getting, you know, with, you know, all different types of hardware on our systems, that kind of thing. And then since then, we've scaled that up. So we're now on about 5% of computers on Nippernet. And we've received funding through DOD CAPE to actually make this an ongoing thing um, out into the future. And um, through the POM, uh, which is basically how we fund stuff in DOD. And um, so this is going to be an ongoing thing. And then the uh, the third thing is NetScout. It, it's basically a network monitoring tool. And we're on 70-something bases. Uh, I want to say 77. Um, we put, you know, two on Nipper and two, well, not everyone is on Sipper, but two on the secret network, two on the in-class network. And what we're doing there is, even though it doesn't measure the um, completely outside in, it does measure this, the wide area network services that we provide to the base. And that's important because, you know, if we know that things are slow at a base, now we can tell, you know, immediately, real time, you know, is it because you know, say the public key encryption, you know, infrastructure is kind of bogged down or something related to that, or is it a routing change or is it just a link type of thing? And then we have a better comprehension of that. So there's, we, we have other organizations, the Network Operations Center and that kind of thing that are, that are managing, call it, you know, layers one through four in the OSI model. So think all of the infrastructure layers, um, what we're trying to do is is track these higher levels that that directly affect the user experience. So those are the three big tools that we added. Um, and uh, like I said, we've got it funded now to continue that, you know, out into the future. That's wonderful. And, and when you think about the tools, and, and you've alluded to some of this already, but I was wondering with all the, the robust data that you collect, what do you do with it? How can that information help or, and how does it help inform, you know, proactive management of service levels, improve performance, which you alluded to, and even gets into the investment and budgeting area? Well, yeah, no, you're right. Okay. So there's several different audiences for this data. So the simplest is, you know, we have a group, part of the 38th Engineering Squadron out at Tinker uh, Air Force Base um, in Oklahoma, and um, they are looking at this data all the time. Um, and I think they're even starting to automate some of this. And so they're looking for things like um, DNS server going down or just slowing down or one of the DS, DNS, usually there's more than one at a base. 
they're looking for things like that, things that you know are not like a cable was cut. So they're looking for things like that or thing changes in routing or whatever. And then as soon as they see a problem, quite often the users at the base didn't even realize there was a problem. They haven't logged a trouble ticket or anything else yet. Our team will be on the case and they will open up a ticket and they will go work with the comm squadron or the network operations center or whatever to start or DISA, Defense Information Systems Agency, and start resolving the issue. So there's that kind of proactive monitor for these higher level user experience affecting things and then go respond. So we're doing that. Then there's sort of lower level diagnosis. You know, if we find um, and we do that, you know, there's bases that all of a sudden, you know, they were kind of in the middle of the pack on a key metric, like say response time of outlook or team or teams or whatever. All of a sudden they go to the, you know, the, the slow end of the curve, right? Something went wrong. You know, and it may not represent an outage, but it's probably affecting users. I mean, we know it's affecting users. We can measure it, right? We can see it. So then you you chase down those kinds of things and you figure out, you know, hey, wait a minute, what's going on here? And usually it was the result of something significant change somewhere in the plumbing of the whole thing. Um, another thing is you look for, you know, what is chewing up system resources, and so one side story, you know, one of the things that we have known for a long time chews up a lot of system resources is endpoint security. It's the scanning, looking for intrusions and viruses and malware and whatever, right? You know, you probably have it on the computer you're using now, and we have it on all of our computers. And it can be very resource intensive. And it, it particularly is if it's an older machine and it has a spinning disk drive, we found. So, and we still, we're getting those out of our, you know, off our network, but we still have some of those out there. And so we were finding that this endpoint security was really bogging us down. And so that we, that led to a series of actions, frankly, over about the last three years where we worked very closely um, with those providers to help them tune things in a way to try and minimize the impact. And then, of course, that requires ongoing management. I hate to say it, but sometimes you make changes, you see a beneficial result, performance gets better, you know, the disk IO and disk input output and all that gets better. And then six months later, somebody else makes a change in a configuration you think was, you know, done permanently. Well, it gets undone. And so it requires ongoing management to make sure that the changes that you made actually stick and are still getting the effect. It sounds like a lot of the work that you are doing is having like impact and you're able to even capture the results of that impact. But none of this is possible, I would think, Colt, without communicating with the end user. And I'm wondering, what is the role of your office and your area in terms of educating the, the airmen and the folks who you are your customers, really? And what is the, what's going on with user communication? So user communication, well, it's... I will just say it is a huge and often overlooked part of customer experience in general. And a good friend of mine, you know, ran customer experience and voice of the customer programs for a large company in the medical devices space. They were able to raise net promoter score at their company, um, which is a measure of basically user satisfaction and retention. I won't go into all of it, but by about 20 points, over the course of a year, just by improving user communication or customer communication, because they were having a lot of service issues and but better customer communication is tremendously important. So we have put a focus on it in the last year. Um, we now have a team 
at SAFCN that is working that and they're doing a great job. And I would say we're still learning how to do it the right way. We're, you know, we're getting out more newsletters, more charts that confirm, you know, that we're making progress. We're getting out guides on things that users can do to improve their own experience because that's definitely relevant. You know, their user behavior is important. You know, to a certain degree, we have to kind of train our, our customer a little bit. You know, things like just rebooting the machine, right? You know, we're, we're doing a much better job keeping software up to date, uh, which is good, but it doesn't take effect until you reboot the machine. And sometimes you have to reboot it twice, which gets a little annoying, I understand. But communicating about those things and setting expectations with the field is very critical. And so we're ramping that up. And I would say it's already having some effect. I couldn't tell you exactly how much, but we have ramped it up and I think it is having some effect. What are some of the most significant challenges facing improving customer experience within the U.S. Department of the Air Force? We'll explore this question and so much more when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. How does an agency decide upon and implement a performance management framework that will be successful for their specific administration? The IBM Center Report, a practitioner's framework for measuring results, follows the implementation and results of the CSTAT management framework in Colorado's Department of Homeland Security in hopes that it can guide others who may want to institute a similar approach. Download a practitioner's framework for measuring results by Melissa Wavelet on businessofgovernment.org today. Agile methodology has allowed for agencies to keep up with the growing demands for fast response to problem solving. The Opportunity Project, TOP, serves as a catalyst in adapting agile techniques to solve complex agency mission problems. TOP works with federal agencies to identify challenges and facilitate iterative approaches in response. In the IBM Center Report, Agile Problem Solving in Government, Joel Gurin and Katerina Ribello discuss the factors of success involved in TOP. Download your free copy today at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Colt Whittall, Chief Experience Officer within the U.S. Department of the Air Force. You know, my next questions kind of go into the operational or, you know, in, into the weeds a little bit, I would think. And, and earlier, Colt, I'd ask you about your challenges in your role. And I was wondering if you could maybe expand on that and, and tell us how challenging is it to improve CX in an organization like the U.S. Department of the Air Force? And what are some of the things organizationally or enterprise you're facing in doing that? Um, so I don't have a big staff. I think I think what I do is um, I try to find allies that have you know a similar vision and passion and the right skills. And then we just start you know moving together. And I, that's kind of the nature of being an HQE appointee. I mean, legally, I don't think we can actually manage staff, right? Which on some level frees me from a lot of things. You know, whenever my peers are doing, you know, dozens and dozens of performance reviews, I don't have to worry about it that much. I just provide feedback on people. And uh, so I, I have to go out and kind of build alliances and and keep things moving. So that's, that's a challenge. Um, but keep in mind, I'm a professional consultant. So that's kind of the environment that I learned to operate in, you know, for the first part of my career. So I don't mind that. I think the other one that's tough is just the nature of the the annual funding cycle. So 
you identify a need and it's clear it's a need, you can build a solid business case for it. Well, getting from that point that you have a solid business case for something to actually getting it funded sort of in the regular process, even if you're going around kind of, you know, going through like the unfunded request or you for process, getting to that point is very hard, very time consuming, takes most of the time more than a year. Then you've got it in the palm and then you're probably waiting for another year before it takes effect. So if you're in a military organization, people are moving you know, in and out of your organization. It's just difficult to maintain over the course of a couple of years when you're trying to get something done and it requires, you know, to go buy something, you know, whether it's people or products or whatever. Um, and you got a two year process to go get funding for something. And two years is kind of how long people tend to stay in your organization. Keeping all of that moving forward, very difficult. Yeah, it's, it's true. But, you know, moving forward is a good way to think about it. How is the user satisfaction trending over years for and what's a good proxy cult for the overall health of the IT and systems ecosystem within the U.S. Department of the Air Force? So I'll give you two, maybe three. So first, just, you know, the top line number. Um, so I mentioned earlier that we have our Air Force IT pulse. And the second question is overall, how satisfied are you with Department of the Air Force IT? So we started that in January of 2020, and the average for the year uh, for 2020, we were about five points, four or five points underwater. The dissatisfieds, we had about four or five percentage points more than the satisfieds for the average for the whole year. And then in 2021, it actually got a little worse. So in 2020, COVID hits in March, basically, we had a massive surge in response, frankly, you know, the entire federal government did. And I think DOD really did a tremendous job. I mean, if you think about launching CVR, I'm sure you have podcasts on it or, you know, you've done interviews on it, but it's a story in my mind. Like, I think we did 3.4 million seats or something like that of teams that we launched. Tremendously popular. We did our own survey, by the way, of CVR. And it was like 85%, you know, user satisfaction and the dissatisfieds or maybe like 1%. I mean, it was as close to a massive hit product as you can get in the federal government. So 2020, we were underwater. 2021, we actually got a little worse. Part of the reason, I think, was that we we turned off CVR. I believe it was June of 2021. And some of the things that we were doing you know, behind the scenes to improve performance and user experience just hadn't hit yet. So we we had already started ramping up ordering PCs and things in 2020, but we just couldn't get them. Um, into the field fast enough. So we didn't see much effect. We actually got a little worse in 21. 22, we break even. So we're now better overall for the year. We're about even, satisfied to dissatisfied, we're about even. Now I think why we're getting better. In late 21, we basically 2.5x the number of PCs we're deploying. And that continued in 22 and 23. And so in 23, we are now about 2x more satisfied than dissatisfied. So, you know, from 2020, we're five points underwater. In 2023, we're about 2x more satisfied than dissatisfied. So that's the effect. And I think if you look at why, I think it's a combination of things. I think it's number one, massive increase in the number of PCs we're fielding. I think the cloud device management made a huge difference because we know that the more up-to-date software correlates with better performance in response to, you know, all of it, you know, stability, everything else, just fewer bugs. It's also, by the way, better security. 
And then uh, we've made tremendous improvement, I think, in endpoint security. By the way, we have more improvement to endpoint security that's still in the pipeline that will go out. Um, and um, the proactive monitoring of the wide area network at the base boundary that I talked about. Add all those things up, plus a few other things I didn't mention, and uh, that's the combined effect. That's amazing. You know, I was thinking, to what extent, Colt, does the user experience data facilitate alignment of your technology vendors and contractors? How does it help align that for the U.S. Air Force? Great question. And here's here's what I like about it. It, it allows you to communicate a, a clear goal. You know, you can say, okay, you know, our proxy for a good health of the ecosystem, you know, pick a metric. I've mentioned this two or three times, the response time of Outlook. That's a proxy for a number of things, right? It, it, in order for Outlook to perform well, the network has to be good, the PC has to be good, you know, the PKI infrastructure has to perform, the DNS servers, all of that has to work reasonably well. Otherwise, Outlook, Outlook doesn't work very well. So let's just say we say, okay, we're going to target this. Everybody, let's all figure out how we make it better. It just helps clarify things, right? If there's a if there's a goal that says, hey, you know, our goal is we want to bring that number down, that response time down by 50% across every installation. How do we do that? And we're making progress on that, by the way. We're down significantly, probably 50% across most installations over the last two years. So I think that's good. And, and not only does it help align our vendors, it also helps align our government suppliers as well. Because remember, Defense Information Systems Agency really is probably our largest IT provider, um, if you think about it. And it's another government agency. So it, it just helps get us all aligned on a, on a common metric that's crystal clear what we're going after. So Colt, how can the U.S. Air Force empower uh, more of its people, its staff, its airmen to leverage user experience data? Great question. So we haven't yet done a great job of getting the data out to everybody that you know could use it. So we're fixing that. We have a uh, data warehouse and analytics platform called Envision, and we have been um, setting up a CIO dashboard. So all of the survey data that I talked about is already there. So for anybody that can get an account on Envision, they can get to that data. So what I would like to do is open that up to all of our major MatchCom A6s. Uh, so those are the people that own comms and each of the major commands, their staff. And really, I would like to open that up at the comm squadron level. So down at you know, the comm focal points at, at every base, basically. And uh, let them see it. And they'll be able to see you know, all the quantitative measures, but they'll also be able to see the feedback from, you know, airmen that are putting comments in in response to that third question I talked about, you know, what's the primary reason for your response? So that's one. And then the other data that we're also putting in Envision, we're also putting our digital experience monitoring and our, our network monitoring. We're also getting that at Envision and open that up as well. And we've been very, very open about giving accounts on these systems directly to almost anybody in the communications in the eight families that wants it. But, you know, for just frankly, you know, licensing and scaling reasons, we can't give them to everybody, right? The nice thing about Envision, just by the very nature of it, is we can give out a lot more accounts. Um, so that's one reason why we're getting this data onto that platform. That's our goal. I, I want I want all of these organizations to be looking at this data and figuring out what it means and how it applies to them. And then they can use it to help 
justify when they need to do tech refresh in their base. And because they'll be able to see, you know, somebody at base A is going to be able to look and say, hey, wait a minute, our performance is not nearly as good as base B. You know, they'll be able to, you know, do the smart stuff with that. Uh, as a follow-up, Colt, what is being done to improve the utility and usability of the U.S. Department of the Air Force's most widely used systems? And how does measuring utility and usability help focus IT portfolio management on what matters most to airmen? Sure. So here's what we've done. We needed a way to give visibility at the, you know at multiple levels in the organization, right up and right up to the glass doors, and say, okay. We have this big portfolio of applications from just a how easy are they used and are they even useful in doing the things airmen need to do? How do they rate, right? Just how do they rate? And, you know, some of these systems have feedback and, you know, some of them are, you know, they're tracking those kind of metrics, but most are not. So what we did is we had an optional section onto the Air Force IT Pulse where we say, okay, what systems out of the following 40, which are the 40 systems on Nippernet, so the unclass network, out of these 40 systems, and these are the ones that have more than 50,000 accounts. So out of these, which ones do you want to provide feedback on? And then you check, you know, I want to provide feedback on these. And then we give you three questions. One is a, you know, how well does this meet your needs in doing your job? And the second is basically how easy it is to use. And third is, what would you change to help you do your job better? Three simple questions, you know, for the system. And so now we have a picture where, you know, from the best to the worst on utility and usability, we can see that, which is tremendously, you know, I've never seen anybody that has that kind of thing, to be honest, but we have it. So now what do you do with it? Well, obviously the feedback on each application, you get it as you know quickly as possible. You get it to the people that own that application so that they can act on it. And then I think you also feed this into the portfolio management process at the macro Department of the Air Force wide level and at the different functional communities that own the portfolios. And I think it can be very useful at each level. Now, what's the effect of this long term? I don't know yet because we only launched this in May. So we're, we're just now figuring out how exactly we're going to use this. Um, and I think we're going to make a couple modifications to the survey just so it can be completed a little faster and that kind of thing. But the uh, so far, I'm very, very happy with it in the meetings I've been having where we discuss it. I think we can make some proactive change. But I'll give you one example of how this can be practically used. So I'm not going to name system names, but there the system there is a system that actually rates above a system usability score of 80, which it's about 80, which is pretty good. Not awesome, but pretty good. And then we have a lot that are well below that. Well, that system that just so happens is in the process of being replaced with another system. And my worry is if we don't manage that right, if we don't have a good user-centered design and have, you know, some good user testing on that replacement, we run the risk of replacing that with something that's no longer an 80, it could be a 40, because we've done some replacements in the last couple of years where they end up scoring a very low system usability score. And then we have to remediate with that and, you know, dig out of the hole. So that's the, that's how this can be used. What advice would you give other organizations uh, within, let's say, within the federal government, whether it's federal, civilian, or or within the defense area, uh, who are looking to begin or further develop their own formal user experience programs? So 
I would approach it in a similar way. Um, I think outside in is the way to do it. Um, I think data is the way to do it. Um, and I think you have to back that up. Um, we haven't talked about all of these different pieces of this, but there's there's other pieces to it. Um, their policy can help. I think a lot of times people start with policy, but I think policy can help because you can require you know, owners of applications to collect web analytics. You can require them to collect user feedback. You can require them to use a user-centered design process. You can require them to use a design system. We didn't, we didn't talk about that, but we're, we're getting ready to launch something there too. And so there's certain things that policy can do. So I think, you know, you got to think about that. The other thing I would say is tools are a big deal because the typical tools that help people deliver a good user experience in the commercial sector most of those tools are not really available much in DOD because of security reasons and other things. So basic web analytics, I mentioned, you know, if you go open almost any private business, you're going to get web analytics, you know, from somewhere. Um, there are multiple products. They don't cost very much money, maybe $100, $200 a month. You put some tags in your website and it'll track how many people come and where they come from and all kinds of things, right? Performance, availability, uptime, whatever. And so we haven't had those tools available to us. So they don't cost a lot of money. So focus on making those tools available. And we've done some of that. Um, we now have um, an open source web analytics tool stood up on cloud one. We have about 20, 21 applications in process of tagging for it. Those kinds of things I would do. Enable them with tools, back it up with some policy that helps kind of get things going. And then uh, put in place, you know, the the platforms that give you data so that you get that kind of outside in and customer centric view. Those would be the big things I would do. Can I ask you to follow up on the design uh, systems you were referring to? When, when are you going to launch that? So just for everybody, what is a design system? A design system is um, if, if you think about why, why does every application at Google look kind of the same? or almost exactly the same. Why it's same thing with Microsoft or Amazon or eBay or, you know, Shopify, you know, Adobe. They're, they have these ecosystems of digital products and services and it all hangs together visually and structurally and navigation and branding, all of it, right? Well, what they're doing is they're executing a design system. So that design system is really, it's colors, fonts, and look and feel and iconography and, you know, copywriting standards. It's all of that. Plus it's page layout and navigation structure and how you get back and forth between all the different apps. And, and so it's, it's more than just kind of look and feel. Um, it really defines how you interact with the whole thing. And so there are actually a fair number of design systems in use in the federal government. So the 21st Century Idea Act several years ago required the use of this for public facing sites. And so GSA launched something called um, the US web design system. They really did, I think they did a great job, but it doesn't totally work for us. It's more externally focused. So one of our software factories, Kessel Run, has developed something called the Kessel Run user interface. They really didn't even totally develop it. They took Google's material UI design system and then they modified it you know, to suit the weapon system requirements that they have. So what we need is to both continue promoting use of Kessel Run user interface, that design system that we already have in the Air Force for weapon systems, possibly augment it with something else that's a little more appropriate to business systems, and then set up a team that's capable of operating, maintaining, scaling. It's almost like having an open source project, if you know how open source projects works, but it's kind of like 
that's that's what we're planning to do. So within the design studio at Bespin, what we want to do is stand up essentially a team that will scale, maintain, operate, and help us proliferate use of a design system. That is that is fundamentally the the plan. One last question, Colt. You came from the private sector. You've had both backgrounds. I was wondering, what advice would you give someone who's thinking about a career in public service? Oh, definitely do it. Absolutely do it. So I have learned more in the last four years than I than you just could possibly imagine. And it has forced me to kind of expand, you know, how I think and how I work with people and, um, you know, draw on, you know, sort of energy and abilities and talents that I didn't even know I had. Um, and it's forced me to just go learn new things that I never planned to learn or expected to learn. And frankly, you just get a tremendous amount of satisfaction of making progress on, you know, helping, you know, an organization like the Air Force get big things done and solve big problems. And this is one that we really needed to focus on. It's why we created this role. So my advice would be anybody, you know, who wants to, you know, anybody who's considering this type of uh, service to your country, feel free, reach out. I'd love to chat with you about it. Um, you know, ask me any question you want to ask. And um, I I absolutely recommend it. And it doesn't have to be with us. You know, there's a lot of great ways to do it, right? You've got Defense Digital Services. There's U.S. Digital Services. There's 18F over at GSA. And frankly, we, you know, we're hiring like UX professionals. We've got open jobs for them. Product managers, open jobs. Developers, lots of open jobs. They are there. And um, we are looking for those people. Often in our software factories, and often you can, you know, you can telecommute, you can, you know, you don't even necessarily have to work in a big five-sided building. I mean, I telecommute from, I've been telecommuting from Atlanta for the last four years. That's wonderful. Well, I have more, I would love to have you back. I've got a plenty more questions for you, but I want to thank you. I already take enough of your time. I want to thank you for your time today, Colt, for joining us. And, but more importantly, I'd like to thank you for your dedicated service to the country. Well, thank you very much. This has been the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with Colt Whittall, Chief Experience Officer within the U.S. Department of the Air Force. Be sure to join us next time for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government technology and its effectiveness. Until then, subscribe, download, and listen to the entire interview at iTunes, Spotify, or on your favorite podcast app, and as always at businessofgovernment.org. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us. How can government best use big data to transform decision-making, public services delivery, and communication? The IBM Center Report, Integrating Big Data and Thick Data to Transform Public Services Delivery by Yan Yan Ang presents five recommendations for public managers introducing the concept of mixed analytics, urging thick data, meaning qualitative information about users, to be presented alongside big data to improve government decision-making. Visit businessofgovernment.org to read more.